Today's episode of Transformation Talks is going to be Q&A style. I recently posted a question box, my Instagram story, which by the way is at CoachSamForge, where I challenge people to tell me what their biggest summer obstacles were. Essentially, what is giving you the most trouble right now when it comes to navigating the summer months and being reasonably consistent with your nutrition and making decently healthy choices? Again, we don't need perfection here. And I got a ton of feedback. I got a lot of really good questions and responses. Although I did find that most of the things that I was reading boiled down to the same handful of obstacles, which are the questions that we will prioritize during today's, again, Q&A style episode. But prior to that, something I wanted to put on your radar based on, I guess, close to 10 years now of coaching people in some capacity with their nutrition or helping them, I should say, is that the summer tends to be the time of your year where and you might know this from personal experience, where people try the absolute least when it comes to making good choices on the nutritional front. And the rationale for this, the reasoning is pretty straightforward. People just care about other things during the summer, especially if you live somewhere that's typically cold. It gets a little warmer out. People tend to be a little bit more social. And all of a sudden, you can't necessarily be as perfect with your plan. So not only do we have more social obstacles, we really have to fight against that all or nothing approach because it's very, very rare during the summer where you're going to have this un- excuse me, un- in- try that a third time, uninterrupted period of even 10 to 14 days where you don't have some sort of obstacle, whether it's a cookout, whether it's a party, whether it's getting drinks with your friends, there's always going to be something. So if you're somebody who does struggle with either being all in or all out, this summer can be an absolute disaster because you're put in a position where you have to be comfortable operating at maybe 60 to 80% at best until the summer is over. But that's exactly what I want to go over with you today, because the alternative doing absolutely nothing to work toward or at least maintain your goals until the summer is over is a horrible idea and not something you want to do on an annual basis. So pay close attention to the strategies that I will throw at you in today's episode. I'm confident they're going to help you get through the summer relatively unscathed. And if you enjoyed the episode, if you feel like you get a lot out of it, I would greatly appreciate you leaving a rating and a review so other people can experience these strategies as well. Welcome to today's episode of Transformation Talks. I'm your host, Sam Forge, and today we're going to dive right into things with a Q&A style episode covering all things summer, specifically the summer obstacles that are likely giving you the most trouble when it comes to eating healthy on a consistent basis. And we're going to start with the question that I got the most, which is how do I navigate cookouts? How do I navigate buffet style settings? And my answer to this is fairly straightforward. I don't need you to offend your host and say that you can't eat anything. I don't need you to bring grilled chicken in a Tupperware container. I don't need you to feel anxious or stressed or feel like you have to skip events like this whatsoever. None of those things are going to be your solutions. The solution is actually pretty straightforward. It's just to utilize what's called the one plate rule. Now, with the one plate rule, you have absolutely anything you want in this cookout setting. It just has to fit in one plate. And the reason this is so effective is that most people, unfortunately, take advantage of every single option that is available to them in a cookout. They have cheeseburgers, and they have chips, and they have beer, and they have macaroni salad, and coleslaw, and hot dogs. The list goes on, and they graze throughout the day. 
And whether your goal is fat loss or just maintaining your results, I always liken grazing, grazing, I should say, to swiping your credit card every couple of hours, or in this case, every couple of minutes. Whatever budget you're generally keeping, you're going to blow. You're not even going to be anywhere near it if you're swiping that card very often. Same thing on the nutritional front. If you're grazing throughout the day, no matter how small those little plates might be, they're going to add up in a major way. So again, if you utilize the one plate rule, it becomes much more realistic for you to be moderate and extremely selective with your splurging. You're not going to pick your sixth or seventh or eighth favorite option at the cookout. You're going to pick only your top options. You're going to keep them on one plate. And for most people, this is a recipe for maintenance, which is a perfectly fine outcome for a highly social day. Next question we got. I am at a routine in the summer. I got I got variations of this question quite a bit, especially from teachers that are, you know, used to having their regular daily schedule and all of a sudden they're a little out of sorts, they're a little out of whack. And for anybody else whose schedule might look a little different in the summer. My solution, again, fairly straightforward, add routine even when you don't have to. I find that a lot of people start to sleep in every single day. They have absolutely nothing locked into their calendar. And this whole idea, by the way, this whole concept is called the paradox of freedom. Because you have the freedom to do things and tackle things whenever, you don't necessarily do it at all. And your life kind of becomes a little chaotic, a little all over the place, which obviously doesn't lend itself to productive behaviors. So my challenge to you, if this is something you struggle with, is to get things on your calendar that don't actually have to be on your calendar. More specifically, when you might be going on a daily walk, when you're going to the grocery store, when you're meal prepping, when you're getting your workouts in, when you're socializing with friends and we create that structure. A lot of people resist this because they feel like the summer is a time to be a little more loosey-goosey, go with the flow. And I get that. But if you at least have a rough draft of your day, that's going to put you in a really good position to be successful. And don't forget one of my favorite quotes, discipline allows freedom. And too much freedom isn't necessarily a good thing. That's a great question. Next question we have is keeping alcohol, not quite a question, but an obstacle that a lot of us are familiar with, keeping alcoholic beverages to a minimum. How on earth do I do that? Uh, This one, again, fairly straightforward, along with most of the solutions that I'll have for you today. Everybody has what I call their specific number when it comes to drinking. This is the number of drinks or the amount of alcohol that's going to get you to completely throw in the towel, have no inhibition, and just say screw it and do whatever you want. For me personally, as a total lightweight when it comes to drinking, that's at about the three drink mark, occasionally four. If I have two drinks, I'm probably still going to order something healthy when I'm out to eat. I'm not going to overdo it at a cookout. It's all going to be fine. If I get three drinks, depending on the strength of the drink, I get to that whatever, I'll start fresh tomorrow kind of mindset. So it's super important for you to kind of reflect on your own decision making and ask like, what is the threshold where I start to wave the white flag a little bit, where I throw in the towel and don't try as hard? Identify that and then work backwards knowing if I have this next drink, the trade-off isn't I don't want to say necessarily worth it. It's certainly not going to be worth it because I know what behaviors typically come after this. So get extremely familiar with what that drink is. Now, that's a strategy that you can use on a micro level the day of a social event. But something you can use on a macro level is a weekly drink quota. I am a massive fan of this, especially for my clients that are a little bit more social. And a weekly drink quota is fairly simple. 
So you're not agonizing over, you know, how many drinks you should have on a daily basis and the fluctuations you go per week. So if you're somebody who's really social, you might say, all right, eight drinks per week. It might be kind of closer to the upper end limit I'd recommend. I can break these up however I want. So if on a, you know, a Sunday brunch type occasion, I want to have four mimosas. Good luck to you, by the way, if you do that. But if I want to have four mimosas, that's fine. But there's a trade-off here because now you've had four out of your eight drinks for the entire week. So it forces you to be a little bit more moderate elsewhere. So again, on a micro level, we're looking at just identifying your drink number, knowing that threshold. On a macro level, we're looking at a weekly drink quota that's conducive to your goals. Next question is actually, I'd say heavily correlated with the drinking type questions or scenarios, and that is how to navigate social gatherings in peer pressure. And before we dive into specific strategies, because I will literally give you scripts for overcoming this, something that I need you to know is that when people comment on your health conscious choices, when you are out to eat, when you are drinking, that is a non-personal reflection of their insecurities called the crabs in a bucket phenomenon because if you put a bunch of crabs in a bucket and one tries to escape the other ones pull that crab back down this is no different you're out to drink or out to drinks i should say you're sitting next to your friend sally and you say i'll actually do a water this round and she goes oh come on can't you live a little can't you splurge this once doesn't your silly little diet have a cheat day or any variation of that again that is that's not okay but it's not personal. It is a reflection of her insecurity, whether she realizes it or not, because you were doing something that she either can't do, is not interested in doing and feels bad about it and historically struggles to do. But again, I can't stress this enough. This is a jerk move and that is an understatement and it is definitely not okay. So it's really important for you to know exactly how to respond in these situations. And I have a script for overcoming this. Step one or part one of the script is simple. You immediately change the subject. You allow that person a little bit of a freebie. They're allowed to say face. You scoff at it and you immediately change the subject. So they say, oh, can't you have a cheat day? And you go, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so what were you thinking for? X, Y, and Z. And you change that subject. Now, if they persist, you meet an uncomfortable comment with an uncomfortable comment. Again, you have to set the standard for how you can be spoken to. So you say, I'm actually not interested in talking about what I'm ordering tonight. I'm not interested in dissecting my plate. This isn't a conversation I want to have. Again, you don't have to completely embarrass them. You don't have to ream them out or anything like that. You just make it clear, this is not a welcome conversation. This is not something that I want to do in any capacity. Now, if they persist beyond that, this is now conscious on their end, and it's a total jerk move. And what I'd actually recommend is having a conversation with them after the fact, especially if drinks are involved, you don't want anybody to be riled up. So after the fact... You pull them aside and you say, look, again, we're going to use this this poor Sally example. Sally, I know you're a good friend and you're always so supportive and you want what's best for me. And the best way to support me right now is I know you want to do. So again, we're highlighting their best traits here is by not giving me a hard time when I order a water or say when I get a salad instead of a cheeseburger. Can I count on you to be as supportive as you always have been? And people want to fill those shoes. They want to step up when you're highlighting your best traits, even if you're fudging it a little bit, even if you're overselling how supportive they actually are as a friend. Same goes for family, by the way. They don't get off the hook for this. So again, step one, we just totally neglect it when somebody makes a comment. Step two, we're looking at meeting uncomfortable with uncomfortable. So literally just saying, we're not going to dissect my plate tonight, or I'm not interested in having this conversation. Step three is a private conversation that you have after the fact where you say, hey, look, 
I, I, I'm sure I can count on you to support me as you always have, right? And again, even if you're fudging it a little, that's okay. Most people are going to want to step up. Now, kind of like an optional step four is if beyond this, this person does not relent and they're making it their mission to give you a hard time, I would honestly, even if they are a fr- friend or family member, limit your exposure to them in situations involving food or drink just to set yourself up, set both of you up really in the relationship for success. Because at that point, that's conscious and that is not okay. Next question we have, once I start having some junk foods, the cravings for it hit really hard. So one thing that I'll challenge out of the gate, and I've definitely used this this, uh, description in the past, is the idea of a junk food. By calling it a junk food, there's an inherent level of guilt that comes with it where like, ooh, it's a guilt or excuse me, it's a it's a junk food. It's like, don't push the red button. I shouldn't have it. So even if your diet is moderate in general, simply calling it junk food gives it so much power that when you do have it, it's hard to be moderate because it feels like we kind of get it all in get it all in while we can. So that's the first thing I'd look at is how you're actually describing these splurge type foods, which don't even necessarily need a label. You can call something dessert without saying, oh, a guilt-free dessert or something like that. But again, we'll call them splurges for now, and we'll assume these are just like lower quality foods that shouldn't necessarily, from a uh, nutritional standpoint, that shouldn't necessarily be in heavy rotation. If you find that over the summer, really anytime, when you start having them, you have a hard time not continuing, like it just spirals a little bit, one of two things we have to look at. Number one would be whether or not this is a trigger food and whether it's something that should actually be around you. And a trigger food, to be clear, is something that's what's called hyperpalatable, meaning it's extremely easy to overeat, and it's it's literally engineered as a food for you to overeat, so you finish it and buy more of the product. So think potato chips, think Oreos, in my case, donuts. It's very, very hard for me, arguably next to impossible, for me to have an open container of donuts on my kitchen counter and not just keep picking at them throughout the day. So the first thing I'd look at if you find that you spiral a little bit is whether or not you have these trigger foods in your direct physical environment. And if you do, I would challenge you to get rid of them. If you have a situation where it's other people bringing this food home, try to have a little separation. If you can get your own shelf or, you know, own fridge or fridge, excuse me, shelf in the fridge or cabinet, that's always going to be a good idea. That slight visual separation or meal prepping whenever possible, which is obviously an episode in itself, because if we can't reduce friction between you and a not so healthy choice, or I should say increase, we want to be able to reduce it between you and the healthy decision and make that decision easier to make. So that's the first thing to identify if you tend to spiral a little bit is whether it's just a trigger food that probably shouldn't be kept in your home. Aside from that, though, if you do find that you have a little, it leads to a lot, it's likely that your usual diet is either just lacking nutrition in general, whether we're talking protein, vegetables, a lot of that filling stuff, or that it's too strict and creates a relationship with food where you do feel like you have to get it all in while you can, subconsciously knowing if I don't eat all these you know, burgers and hot dogs and chips now, my usual plan doesn't allow for it, so I'm not going to get to enjoy these again. So again, the big picture, um, this could be a few different things, but uh, I would encourage you to look at all of them and kind of tinker and test to see what's going to work best for you. It's a great question. Next one we have, a lack of motivation to meal prep actual healthy foods because it's nice out and I'd rather be doing things. So this is fairly cut and dry where we have a few options here. If you don't want to be cooking at each individual meal, that's fine. The next level from there is meal prepping. 
I, I would say twice a week for most people meal prepping. So I like to do it early in the week if we're looking at maybe Sunday for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday's meals and Wednesday for Thursday, Friday, Saturday meals. So you're prepared going into the weekend. And that would be option two. Now, if you don't want to do even that, you could either do a mega meal prep session, which I personally don't love at the beginning of the week for essentially the entire week. I find that the food tends to be not super appealing by week's end. So I don't like that, but it is an option. Uh, but the alternative to that would be a meal prep service, literally having somebody else make food for you. Now, if you're going to reject every single one of these, I don't want to cook at each meal. I don't want to do mini meal prep sessions. I don't want to do a mega meal prep session. And I, you know, I'm not able to, or I don't want to invest in a meal prep service. I don't want to say I got nothing to tell you, but um, this is a scenario where there are not or there aren't necessarily hacks. We have to go with one of those four options to put us in a position to do well. I guess the only thing I left out uh, would be ordering well if you are going out to eat a lot more, which is something we'll get into a little bit later. Those are the four options that we're going to want to pay close attention to. Next question we have, and this actually lend itself really nicely to what I just started to dive into. I don't have healthy options available during spontaneous trips. Interestingly enough, and contrary to popular belief, you can actually order a healthy option anywhere you go. We're talking McDonald's. We're talking Taco Bell. We're talking all of the places that we associate with being really unhealthy and you know not so great choices all around. You can still order healthy. And again, per usual, I have a little bit of a system that I like to run through for this. Step number one, when looking at any menu, when you're looking to order something that's healthy and occasionally fat loss friendly, would be questioning which menu items are going to make you feel gross. Just, yeah, they might taste good, but after the fact, you'll feel maybe bloated or lethargic or not super great about the choice you just made. And not from a guilt perspective, by the way, I'm talking just like physically, you will not feel good if you order them. That alone can wipe out 90, 95% of what's on most menus. So then let's say we've narrowed it down to five to eight choices that you would actually consider that don't make you feel gross. And honestly, even five to eight is a lot. From there, we just look up the calorie counts for each of them. So quick Google search, quick search in my fitness pal. We'll use this five, uh, five option example here. And if we have those five meals and we have the calorie counts for each, we can then further reduce the amount of things we're deciding between based on those. Maybe there are two that are fairly healthy, but they're extremely, extremely high in calories, not necessarily ideal for either fat loss or even just weight management. So maybe we ax those. Now we're down to the final three choices. The best thing to look at here for step three of this process is going to be percent of protein calories. As an aside, protein has four calories per gram. So if you see a menu item that has 30 grams of protein, we multiply that by four. So if we have a meal that has 500 calories and 30 grams of protein, which would be great, by the way, if you could find that, we do 30 times four is 120 out of those 500 calories. That's just under 20% of its calories from protein, not sky high, but better than the things like the loaded nachos and the cheeseburgers and things that people typically order, especially during the summer. So to backtrack, that three-step process is going to be weeding out anything that doesn't just physically make you feel good. We don't need numerical feedback for that. From there, we are looking at what is going to be the highest or lowest in most calories or lowest in calories and picking something that is most conducive to your goals, whether it is fat loss 
or just results management, weight management as a whole, and then moving on to percent of protein calories. If you use that system, you can order well, literally anywhere. Same thing for if you're ordering takeout, there are no exceptions to this. You can always do well. The alternative when traveling and something that I really like to do is just make a quick grocery run. does not have to be extreme. I'm not saying you have to eat rotisserie chicken at every meal while your friends are ordering pizza. Um, That doesn't have to be the case. But something as simple as Greek yogurt, cottage cheese, uh, cheese sticks, even one carton of eggs, things like that, they're going to be a really good idea for you to not enter these meals out starving. Because if you do, you're going to throw all of these strategies out the window. So again, that's another great question. Last one that I'm going to tackle today is a unique one and that somebody asked about not being wasteful. They have a hard time mentally not throwing away food, whether it is a cookout setting or something is catered or out to eat with friends. And this doesn't even necessarily have to apply to summer, but we're still going to tackle it anyway today because this is so common. This is something that comes up all the time where people have almost this moral dilemma, a financial dilemma of, well, I don't really want to throw away food. Now, if it's a moral dilemma, Like you just feel bad because there are people that are food insecure and you don't want to be in a position where you feel like you're being a wasteful person. I get that. But there are, excuse me, there are alternatives. You can offer whatever leftovers you have to somebody else at the table. You can take them home for the next day. You can ask the restaurant if something is completely untouched, of course, if they have any systems in place for giving leftover food to other people. So it doesn't have to be the case where you necessarily trash it. Now, if you have financial concerns, I'm actually fairly harsh about this because I've had people tell me they didn't want to throw away a handful of fries because, well, I spent money on it. I didn't want to waste it. Well, I have two challenges for you. Number one would be to reflect on your detailed line-by-line itemized budget of every cent you have spent on food and drinks in the last 30 days. Because if you don't have one of those readily available, then you can't, I'm going to say you can't, but I'm going to challenge the fact that you randomly have this financial hesitation when it comes to $3.13 worth of fries. And that's not to sound ungrateful and honestly not to sound overly harsh, but you can't be super selective when it comes to not keeping the super detailed food budget throughout the entire month and then randomly caring if you throw away again. We're going to use this fry example. Don't be selective there. If you want to play the financial card, that's great, but everything else in your life should be itemized and accounted for. So I I am particularly harsh on that. The other thing to consider is what you, in terms of monetarily value feeling good at and making progress at. So let's assume that you don't agonize over throwing away something that's like $3 or $4 worth of food, but you just like feel a little bad about it. Like, uh, like I wish I didn't waste that money. You could reframe things to get a little bit of that weight off your shoulder. So if I asked you, what do you value a day of high energy and no digestive issues and a day where you move closer to your goals at? Maybe you pick $3, maybe you pick $100, maybe you pick 15 but there's a cost of doing nothing in a good way where there are scenarios where by actively choosing to discard a food that doesn't necessarily serve us or make us feel good, we actually have an exchange of value. So instead of seeing that as $3 down the drain, you might look at it as $3 worth of more energy or more confidence or more consistency. So it's not a net negative when we reframe things a little bit. So hopefully that clears things up on the financial and moral fronts when it comes to wasting food. Again, there are a lot of options that don't involve just trashing it no matter what and stressing the, the financial component specifically. 
But aside from that big picture, I hope that you got a lot out of today's Q&A style episode. Per usual, if you got anything out of this, if you feel like you enjoyed it and want to allow other people to do the same, a rating and review goes a long way. And if you want to be involved with the next Q&A style episode, you can follow me at, at Coach Sam Forge. I anticipate doing a lot of these. And I would love to hear from you next time around.